So Money episode 1177, Rachel Wyman, owner of the Montclair Bread Company. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. The businesses who were able to turn on a dime and support their community, and I'm not going to say doing well because no one's doing well. Um, Like you said, we've lost a ton of our revenue streams, but maintain and keep a staff on are the businesses where there is an owner operator that's not afraid to get their hands dirty and work beside their team. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today, we're giving a voice to one local business owner in my town, Montclair, New Jersey, who's managed to keep her bakery open during the pandemic. It has not been easy, as she'll discuss, but I think it's important to take a moment to spotlight the entrepreneurs in this country who might appear to be doing okay, but behind the scenes, it is anything but. And to remember that these business owners are mothers and fathers, they have families, they're just like you and me. And their devotion to their business is not just for themselves, it's for their communities. You know, here in New Jersey, by the end of last year, roughly three out of every 10 small businesses had closed. And it kind of mirrors what we're seeing across the country, where 163,735 U.S. businesses have closed since the beginning of the pandemic. Many of them will not return, but Montclair Bread Company is still standing. Rachel will talk about the first months of the stay-at-home orders in 2020 and the depths of despair that she experienced having to furlough a majority of her staff, how she worked her way out of that, the importance of having multiple revenue streams as a business owner, and what she hopes she's modeling for her three children, some of whom have already started to uh, roll up their sleeves and help mom out. A little bit more about Rachel. She grew up in Maryland and as a child watched her grandmother make wedding cakes. After graduating from the University of Florida with a French degree. She studied baking and pastry at the Culinary Institute of America, and there she discovered a passion for baking bread. She has worked for Bread Alone Bakery, Amy's Bread, and the Ritz-Carlton and has developed bread recipes for Whole Foods, Target, Starbucks. She's been featured in the New York Times, CNN, and now on So Money. I'm so excited to introduce to you Rachel Wyman. Rachel Wyman, welcome to So Money. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I just, uh, I was scrolling on your Instagram and the the bread that you have made this Friday is just, I need to end this interview as quickly as possible so I can get in line for that bread. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty yummy. I've, I've eaten a lot of bread this week. Well, so I wanted to have you on the show because one, you are an incredible member of our community in Montclair. You run this phenomenal business called Montclair Bread Company. And as we are now, hopefully on the emerging side of this pandemic, I wanted to learn from you about sort of how you've navigated this past year as a business owner. It's no doubt been a roller coaster. So would love to have you share some of the ways that you've kept your bakery afloat in the pandemic. And I mean, what were those first few months of lockdown like, at least take us there? It was crazy. So yeah, we're exactly a year from where we started. And it was 
scary. And I think what's really important for people to understand is that I didn't have any notice of anything that was happening before you did or anyone else did. If there was a press release going out from the governor's office, that was the same time I was being notified as you know the rest of the general public. When we were being told you know, only essential businesses could open. And then what's essential? It was, it was like, you know, trying to read is essential. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes. I've, I've read through so much fine print in the last year, trying to like figure out what we're supposed to do because, you know, not just that, but then there's no support from our local municipalities to let us know like, Hey, this is what you're supposed to be doing, or this is what you're not supposed to be doing. You know, I definitely feel like, a food service had an advantage in that we didn't have to learn how to be clean and sanitary because it's what we do already. So it's not like somebody that's working in a retail clothing store suddenly has to learn about sanitizing surfaces and wearing gloves and all of that. That's part of who we are. Mm -hmm. We found out we were an essential business and I'm a single mom. I have three kids and I needed things too, like milk and bread and eggs. And I started listening to my friends and I knew what my family needed. And since food was scarce at grocery stores and I didn't have any problem sourcing anything from my vendors for the bakery. So I just started offering it to the customers here. One of the things that we did really early on, we had a leadership huddle with my five core full-time employees and decided that we were going to have to furlough. I don't know if that's the word, but we we put all of the part-time employees on hold because we wanted to have as few people as possible on a day-to-day basis inside the bakery to keep mm-hmm. the team safe. That was devastating. That was exactly, I think it was March 11th last year that I had to make all of those phone calls. So I went from 35 people on my staff down to eight people, plus myself and my business partner, Jessica, in a day. And that that was really you know, I, I'm sure you were frustrated because, you know, we're hearing from I don't know who was really saying it, but it was like this sentiment that was out there that like, how didn't you have cash flow? How didn't you have savings? I mean, p- individuals were getting that uh, that sort of heat. Like, what do you yeah. mean? Like, you can't cover yourself for a week? No, most yeah. Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And we yeah. often forget that that's that includes business owners. Totally. I mean, and I, it's not just paycheck to paycheck. Sometimes you're like, I'm not going to pay this vendor this week and I'm going to pay this other vendor. And, you know, it's just always shifting money around because the margins on baked goods just aren't that great, especially when you have skilled labor that you pay adequately in the equation. The community really rallied, though, and I think that has says a lot about you as somebody who's such a great storyteller and connector. And food, of course, always brings people together. But there's something about you and the business and Montclair Bread being kind of um, at the center of the community in a really um, wonderful way when times are great and more importantly, when times are not great. You leverage that very well and very almost strategically from where I stood. But tell us about how that how you played that role. 
So it, it's interesting because even when I first opened the bakery, I saw my role as a bakery owner and as an employer and as a member of my community as a way to right all of the wrongs that I'd experienced earlier in life. So my team's largely female. I was told in my last job that the company was a sales organization and not a marketing organization. So things don't need to look nice. So I've always, you know, put a few extra dollars into marketing or making things look nice because I was never allowed to before. So flash forward to communicating with the the public during the quarantine, I I kept getting all of these letters from businesses, anything from, you know, Verizon to the restaurant down the street. And it was so sterile and it just, it looked like it came from the CDC. And it's just like, that doesn't calm my nerves. That doesn't tell me what I really want to hear. So I started sharing my personal stories as a business owner, as a mom, as a runner, and how I was going through pandemic, just to let them know that there's a real human being on the other side. Mm -hmm. And especially as things were really tense, it's like, hey, you know, I have eight humans in my bakery that I'm responsible for. And you know, they need to be treated like somebody that lives under your roof. They're not servants. They're not here to work for you. Like we're all scared. We're all going through the same thing. So if somebody's mask slipped below their nose, like it, it's not. It wasn't know. intentional, right? Yeah, yeah. We're all trying to do the right thing. Yeah. I want to get into just also the many revenue streams that pre-COVID you had implemented and installed as part of your business strategy and, and how you have now, you know, how that has changed. But let's go back. Let's go back and first talk about how and why you arrived at this profession, because I understand as I was reading about you, you were a teacher. So what changed? I thought from the time that, so this is another thing. Um, I had a terrible fifth grade math teacher. And so then and there that I decided I was going to be a teacher so I could do a better job. But French was my thing. I, I spent a year in France in high school and I studied French in college and, um, all with the intention of becoming a French teacher. The only thing that was constant in my life from the time I was really little was baking. My grandmother was a cake baker. She made special occasion cakes. She pretty much raised me. I had a single mom growing up. And while she was decorating cakes, she would give me a paper plate to decorate uh, with buttercream. So I could write my name in buttercream before I could hold a pencil. So that was kind of always part of what I knew and who I was, but I didn't think about it being a profession at the time. We didn't have the Food Network when I was a kid. I went to college. The whole time I was in college, I baked cookies and brownies and sold them at coffee shops to pay my rent. And then I graduated and I started teaching at the high school that I graduated from in Chestertown, Maryland. It's actually in Wharton, Maryland. About eight months into it, I was offered a five-year contract to stay on, and I decided that in in lieu of that, I wanted to go to culinary school and learn more about baking and make that my career. Hmm. And your grandmother was a big influence, right? She was. She was. Tell us about what she taught you. What was her inspiration? She made most things from scratch. She kept a garden. She made food from the vegetables that she grew in the garden. 
And then she would preserve them so they were canned and we would continue to eat them into the winter. But it was just really basic. Just it was all about family and traditions and simple, you know, meat and potatoes kind of kind of meals. Mm-hmm. You were interviewed in the New York Times more than once. Uh, but the one I read was about your comeuppance in Montclair and your, your backstory. And um, apparently there was one Father's Day in, in the beginnings of your of your uh, business. There was a line down the block and you were really worried about having supply for everybody. And so you, you talked about in the story that you went and called your grandmother. You hid in the bathroom and called your grandmother. Yes, I did. <laughs> you just had this feeling that you weren't going to be able to feed everybody. You no, were I running out of running out of donuts. I am. What did your What did your grandmother tell you on on the phone that day? Um, she told me to pull up my big girl panties and make more next week. Oh, did people walk away without donuts that day? And yes. that is, yeah. I call it the apology shift. The it's the shift that the retail workers have to work after we're sold out of donuts. We still have an apology shift now. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we had one today because we sold out of donuts before closing. So they just have to say, "I'm sorry." We'll have to come back tomorrow over and over again. So. Are you hopeful for your industry, the food industry post-COVID? It's been so devastating for restaurants and bakers. In some ways, there has been work. They've been busy because there's there's a food crisis and there's a people are starving. And so there's been I've seen, you know, a rise in food kitchens and not for profits and restaurants turning their kitchens into, you know, nonprofit centers. As a business, what do you see changing in your market? I think, you know, when I started the bakery, I didn't have two pennies to rub together. And I had to make it work or I wouldn't be able to pay my rent. Um, Not my rent at the bakery, like my rent at home to keep my family fed and, and safe. So, you know, I've always been an owner operator in that I get my hands dirty and work, you know, side by side with my team. And I think from what I've seen over the last year, the businesses who were able to turn on a dime and support their community, and I'm not going to say doing well, because no one's doing well. Um, Like you said, we've lost a ton of our revenue streams, but maintain and keep a staff on are the businesses where there is an owner operator that's not afraid to get their hands dirty and work beside their team. I think where you have the absentee owners that were just opening restaurants because they wanted to see their name on the menu or, you know, they thought they could make a quick buck by, you know, turning out crappy donuts or whatever it is. It's not an industry that you're going to get rich in food you know, bakery, you're, you're never going to be rich. You have to do it because you love it. And I think that the pandemic kind of weeded out the people that were in it for the wrong reason. And the people who are here for the right reasons are, you know, still here. Mm -hmm. You had many revenue streams previous to the pandemic. What will endure post pandemic or are there new business models, new business streams that you're pursuing? because of everything you've learned. Our retail business, and like you said, um, our community has supported us yeah. so well during this whole thing. And so our retail business is intact, but 
it's we lost uh, we host several races, um, 5K events in town each year, and we can't do that. You know, normally we would have a big catering revenue from weddings and bar mitzvahs and graduations and all of those celebrations that just aren't happening now. We've continued to offer groceries, basic pantry needs, milk, eggs, butter, flour, and people take advantage of that. It's, you know, so they don't have to go to the grocery store to get everything if they just need, you know, milk and bread. We can we can supply that. And then we've done some other things that came out of pandemic that are still going really strong. We do um, a DIY donut kit. Yeah. So it's naked donuts that you can throw in the freezer and then all the toppings and glazes so you can pull them out and have fun with them. And a lot of people found it as something fun to do with the kids that are home forever and ever. And the other thing that we started doing was um, frozen raw cinnamon buns. So you can take them home and bake them in the morning. And those still sell really well. And I don't know why it never occurred to me to make them before, but that was something that came from the quarantine has endured. <laughs> the amount of crafts and DIY projects that we have uh, experienced in the last 12 months is um, it's enough for a lifetime. Yeah, I have a couple partial macrame rainbows going on and a lot of dead plants. You talked earlier about being a single mom of three. Tell us about how that drives you as a business owner and how has that responsibility added more fuel to your fire? I don't know. I feel like I'm failing as a mom most of the time during pandemic because my kids just don't jive with the virtual school thing. But uh, that being... That's said, not your failure. That you, you know that, right? That's not yeah, your failure. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we, I just kind of grin and bear it. But, I can name a couple of other people that are guilty of why that is. Yeah. Institutions. Right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The kids are bored, so they've been really involved in bakery operations, and I have been able to continue hosting my pizza night at the bakery. I have a wood-fired oven on the patio, and I sell pizzas every Friday from 5 to 7, and since it's off hours for the baking team, I have to rely on my family pretty heavily to snap it. So my 12-year-old daughter, she tops and finishes and expedites every single pizza. And we're doing like 120 pizzas every Friday. And she's responsible for getting everybody their food. And then her little brother um, does all of the dishes. Um, so he um, you know, stays in the back and does all the dishes. He's nine. Their brother, who's in the middle, he's 11. He stays at home and plays video games. So, yeah. So what do you think they're learning from observing you and also now rolling up their sleeves and helping out? Yeah, I mean, they've always been fully integrated into the bakery, but I I think that they've really been able to understand what the bakery means for the community. In the very beginning, I like I mentioned, my partner Jessica and I, we went from being able to spend some time in our offices to being, you know, feet on the floor. 80 hours a week to get everything done. 
And so all of the emails, like hundreds and hundreds of emails weren't getting answered. And so my son and my daughter started responding. They um, they took on the customer service role and they sat in the office all day and just responded to emails and made notes for the team that was packing everyone's orders and, you know, went through everything. And, you know, they just really wanted to help and, and do something that they felt was making a difference. And that's that's continued. Because we don't have in-person school in Montclair, I started teaching baking classes, which is something that I've always done. But I opened up several more sections of baking classes for kids that are in elementary and middle school. And my daughter helps teach those for the younger kids. And um, she makes fun of me because she's heard every story I tell, like 80 million times. And so I can count on her to mock me as soon as we're done. Well, I thought it was really touching and relatable when I read about in the New York Times when you said at the end of the interview that, you know, and and talking about your children, you can't make all of their activities. That's, I think, something a lot of hardworking parents can relate to. And you said that your son, you sent him to school with a cake for a Thanksgiving party. And when you asked him what everyone thought of the cake, he said, quote, mommy, it was delicious. It smelled just like you. Yeah. And I really, I don't know, it gave me real goosebumps. I mean, that's, that's really touching. Yeah. Yeah. That you were, you were still there sort of, you know. I know, I know that same teacher. When I showed, showed up to pick them up from school one day, she said, well, I haven't seen you here before. It was like a month before school ended. (laughs) Mm. Um, Yeah, you could say like, I've been feeding the whole town donuts. I've been a little busy. You mentioned earlier that, you know, working in food service, it's not going to make you rich. But I think that you are positioned very well to make a lot of money um, as you pursue this work. And I think it's because from what I can tell, like you're not just approaching this as sort of a one-shot service. Like you are the entrepreneur thinking about revenue streams, thinking about platform, you're a community builder. There's so much to you. And now you have a book coming out in the fall. And where do you see this going? Yeah, I, um, you know, I was really lucky to have a couple incredible mentors along the way. And one of them was Amy Sherber from Amy's Bread. Yes. Um, where I worked for five years in Chelsea Market. And Amy used to say, you know, that, that we wouldn't even consider moving into a new facility until we've maximized every hour of the day. And so I think about that all the time as I'm thinking about how we're going to pay the rent or how we're going to afford payroll. And it is maximizing our space to its potential every hour of the day. So, you know, we've added back birthday parties and and baking classes and things like that during the hours that we're not baking and the pizza Fridays. And so during pandemic, I was um, sharing or during the early part of the quarantine, I was sharing recipes on my Instagram so that people could bake at home. My first intention was with their kids, but then I quickly found they just wanted to bake at home. And the I shared a recipe every day. And I, independent of that, had a book proposal out for a collection of essays with recipes. My agent had pitched it 
to a bunch of different publishers and they all turned it down. It wasn't the right time. But when one of the publishers saw the community that I was able to build through this recipe share at the beginning of our quarantine, they reached back out and said that they really wanted to publish my book. So the book's coming out this fall, September 7th. And uh, I'm really excited about that. That is really exciting. And so tell us about the book. What's the point of view? It is called Will Run for Donuts. It's the Montclair Bread Company cookbook. (laughs) And yeah, there's 65 essential recipes from Montclair Bread Company. But I actually, I I love the book so much. And this project has just come so far from where I saw it in the very beginning. Each chapter represents a part of my my life leading up to today. And so it starts out with my childhood and it there, it's got a ton of recipes that I learned with my grandmother and recipes that got me, you know, through the beginning years of baking with her. And then I go into a bread chapter, which I really focused just on bread. When I went to culinary school, uh, I really fell in love with bread because you know, when you're baking bread, you can be a part of the community every day instead of just one special occasion that's represented by a cake. So that was kind of when I decided it was all about bread for me. So I have a whole chapter about bread. And then I go into the donut chapter, which is kind of like the thick of it because there's a lot of donuts. And then through the community, which is where the pizza comes in and a lot of those things that really bring people together. And then I got to include a chapter on the quarantine with all of the most popular recipes from that time that I was sharing them, which is really exciting that that went in there. And it even includes um, highlights from a lot of the emails that I was sending out to the customers with updates. So it's, it's really kind of crazy to look back in time at how that transpired. But the book in general has an underlying theme of resilience and overcoming mm. obstacles, which I've had my share of. Yes. Tell us about how you come up with your culinary ideas, because, you know, um, I feel like first it was cupcakes. There was like a cupcake craze. Then it was like a donut craze. Then it was the Krona. And then so how do you how do you are you responding to the market or are you creating the market as a baker? I, I wouldn't say that I'm responding to the market. I really like food and I really I love to eat. And I have a bakery with every ingredient that you could possibly need right at my fingertips. So I, I just, I make a lot of food. And um, the donuts started because I wanted to, somebody on my team asked if I could make donuts. So I made donuts for the staff and there were extras. So we put them out to sell and it like took off. And then we just kept making them. And that's really how everything lands on the menu. It's something that we made because we want to eat it. The Not just me, but the team um, or somebody asked for it or one of my friends asked for something or asked if I knew how to make it. And then, you know, and then it'll hit the special menu. And mm-hmm. if it hits the special menu and people respond really well, we'll make it again. I also rely really heavily on seasonal ingredients from my local farmers. And, you know, you'll get a case of something that you have to use in two days. So it's like figure out, figure out what to do with 25 pounds of rhubarb, you know, and so yeah, it's, it's always a team effort too. You know, we'll have something like that, like a, a 25 pounds of rhubarb and it's like, well, what can we put this in? How can we use it? 
or, you know, we'll have like a certain pan that we need to use for something. And, you know, it's always, it's, it's like solving a problem. Right. Scratching an itch at the same time. That's kind of how things develop. Was there a point in the last year where you really thought, I don't know if this is going to work out anymore. So many businesses shuttered, a lot of them in the food service industry. What has always been your like fallback plan? Is there a plan B or a plan F? (laughs) (laughs) You know, besides like running away and and hiding in a cabin in the woods. um, (laughs) But you've got three kids, right? They're going to follow you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You Uh, will be found. You cannot hide. I know, I know, I know. Especially if you have to use the bathroom. Yeah. Um, I guess another way to ask is like, do you feel like this was meant to be for you that you have really found your calling and, or are you flexible in that, you know, well, if this doesn't work out, there's always, I can do other, I'm good with my hands. I'm creative. I'm a community builder. I'm an entrepreneur. I can do almost anything. Yeah. I, this is the only thing I've ever been really good at baking bread. And, um, honestly, a lot of the community stuff, I, I work really crazy hours, uh, early mornings. So a lot of the things that I built with the community were just to bring people to me because I couldn't go anywhere. I'm a bakery. So it's like, well, if I bring them to me, then I get to see my friends. Hence the running club that has like over 2000 members that meet at the bakery on Saturday mornings. Um, (laughs) I got to get my exercise in. So yeah, yeah. no, I, you know, if I weren't doing, if I, if I weren't running Montclair bread company in Montclair, New Jersey, it would be, you know, something similar somewhere else. And I I talk to my partner, Brad, about this a lot, too. It's like, you know, sometimes, especially in the beginning of pandemic, it was so crazy. I actually looked at like inpatient mental institutions to see where I could check myself into because I was like just so rock bottom and not financially, just like, you know, the work and the intensity and the emotions. It was so, so hard. I never want to go back there. I worked harder in the first three months than I ever have in my life. And I've opened businesses, you know, and I've had kids. It was, it's just like yeah, you've given birth. Yeah, exactly. This was just insanity and no one should have to live through that. But, so what was your therapy? How did you get yourself through that sanely? I just got up the next day and did it again. You know, one of the things that I did, and th- this is something that came out of pandemic that's been really positive for me that I would have never done otherwise I started closing. We were always closed on Mondays. I started closing on Tuesday. Uh, So I have two days that the bakery is closed. So it requires a full 24 hours of prep to open the bakery on uh, any given day. Only closing one day, I still had to come in that one day because I had to prep for the next day. But closing two days, we actually have one full down day. So that was tremendous. And I think that came about six weeks into it that we started closing that second day. And then I truly got a day to rest. Good. That was when things started getting better. Well, let me tell you, I'm probably too late to get your pizzas. It's Friday. Oh my gosh, they sold out like last night around. Yeah, they sold out so fast. As a new member of the Montclair community, it's so cool to know that I can walk in at some point soon, one day, and really next be next Friday. Next Friday, 
I, 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 it's supposed to be keeping it quiet, but the 19th. So Governor said that we can open at 50% capacity. And I said that I wasn't going to open my dining room, which is brand new to me. Our neighbors moved out during the quarantine and we were able to take over the space. So Montclair bread doubled in size and I now have indoor seating, which I never had before. And I said that I wasn't going to open it until I could have somebody sitting in every chair because I don't want to stand at the door and count people. So uh, at 50% capacity, I can put somebody in every chair and I don't have to manage people in and out. So we're going to officially open our indoor seating area next Friday. Rachel Wyman, thanks so much for sharing part of your day with us. I know you're um, beyond busy. So this is such a treat and we really appreciate you. Congrats on everything. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to Rachel for joining us. You can learn more about her and the business at MontclairBread.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you back here on Friday. It's not too late to send in your questions for Ask Farnoosh. Head over to the So Money Podcast website. Click on Ask Farnoosh. Send me your question there or direct message me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks, everybody. And I hope your day is so money.